Thank you, Lord Jesus. What a great privilege it is to be able to live for him. I've been serving him for many, many years of my life. <clears throat> I think I'm more amazed now than I was whenever I first felt his tug on my heart as a little boy. Because he's dealt with so many failures, faults, shortcomings, problems, issues, and things in my life. And it seemed like they never end. Closer we get to the end of the way, and the more you think in our minds that we would know more about God, and truly we do, but yet knowledge alone does not prevent us from having mess-ups, and how great He loves us in spite of all of that. We greet you tonight in the name of the Lord Jesus, and hopefully this is the last time we'll have service like this. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, eh, it's just not the same. But how I've enjoyed these 10 brothers, 11, whatever it's been from time to time, it's coming to help us, and uh, we just appreciate the Lord helping us. Lord willing, Sunday, we'll start uh, uh, with our new program, uh, A through G. Many of you all already got your letters and so on, and uh, we're going to try to make this work, and I know we will by the grace of the Lord. I know most of us don't like rules and regulations and do's and don'ts and haves and haves nots and can'ts and cannots and all that sort of thing, but in order to make this work, we're going to need the cooperation of the people. Because once we start having church, we don't want to stop having it because somebody got sick. So we're going to try to do our best to be able to comply to these things. And don't stop praying now just because we're all able to come back together to church. Pray this thing leaves us and gets away from us. Don't come back again because we certainly don't want no resurgence of it. I don't want to start being able to come back to church and people go back to work and all that. And then we have to stop again. So. We, uh, we'll make do with it. Lord willing, we'll start back three times a week after Sunday. We'll have Sunday and then Wednesday and then Saturday and Sunday. And we'll keep on going that way alphabetically until they say that we're able to uh, phase it all back together full time. And we're just looking forward to that time. Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, if you'd like to read with me tonight in the scripture. I want to speak to you tonight on our flesh doesn't like kenosis our flesh doesn't like kenosis now, this is going to be one of those services that everybody's going to shout and I understand it may be hard for you to hold your peace and uh, keep from shouting but if you get it a little loud I'll, I'll understand that so I just trust that you, know, you, you try to enjoy the word as much as you can the words of the Lord Jesus he that loveth father or Mother, more than me, is not worthy of me. I wonder how many people those few words right there leave totally out of the kingdom of God. Because if religion crosses mama, they're out. Religion crosses daddy, they're out. But a real believer will go with mama or without mama if necessary. They are worthy of him. Now think of these words. This is the only creator and only creation of the creator that is worthy. But he's identifying a group of human beings that were born lost, unworthy, and he's saying there's a group of people on the earth that's going to be worthy of me. 
Listen to those words. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. Now remember, whenever the Lord Jesus mentions this in Matthew 10, he has, as of yet, not mentioned anything about him dying on a cross. So when the disciples hear this, they do not, their minds don't automatically go to Jesus on a cross because he hasn't mentioned that yet. He mentioned our cross before he mentioned his. But when he heard, when they heard this, they were very familiar with the cross because the Romans had killed hundreds and hundreds and even thousands of their people. So whenever he mentioned cross, they didn't think about Jesus, but they thought about all them people that passed by and saw them dying on the way. So remember, when we think about this in our minds, most of us would think, well, Jesus and his death and all that, that's not what they thought about because they had not heard this at all. Notice again in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny who? The hardest person in the world that there is to deny. We can deny our wives, our children, our parents, our friends, our closest buddy. We can deny them easier than we can deny ourselves. If any man will come after me. Now we're talking about bride material now, not the church. You can see why the church world will never fit into this. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up not my cross, but his cross and follow me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so blessed to hear these words tonight. I am so thankful, Lord Jesus, when I read this or when I hear it read. It is not something of some historical significance. It is not that I hear you, the greatest figure of all eternity, saying such beautiful poetic words. But Father, it's something that I have experienced myself. And for that, I am so grateful. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would take your word tonight. Speak to us, Father. Help us to see that if we have experienced and are experiencing this work within our hearts, oh God, help us to understand it is of such great significance that the token life is living out of us every day. For we know to live a selfish life is to die and to be separated. But Father, when we are looking heaven in the face, is when we live our life for others. That does not mean of what others can do back for us. It means if they hate us, if they despise us, eternal life is living and doing for others without any hope of repayment at all. 
Speak to us tonight, Father, your great words of eternal life, for they are awesome to us. And we'll give you praise in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. God bless you, saints that are streaming tonight. Let me call your attention back to Matthew chapter 10, again, verse 38. When Jesus says, he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. So to carry a cross is a figurative expression of denoting that which God by his sovereign decree gives each of us in our lives. It's not that we actually make our own cross. We don't sit down and contemplate and think, well, what, what could I do and what, what can I be able to bear for the cause of the Lord Jesus and would it be this or would it be a certain way that I would dress or certain places that I could not go and God gives us a questionnaire and it's a multiple choice and you, you can pick A, B or C or D. It's, it's not of our own making at all. But it's actually that which the Lord, out of His own sovereign grace, knows what each of us needs to be able to deal with. It simply consists in doing our duty, but not doing our duty with an attitude. But doing our duty with the attitude of submission and love, and that God has actually helped us to conquer our own will from within. And the, the revelation of this whole thing, it involves that it's not the power of God constantly, constantly, day in and day out, just beating our flesh down and whipping us and God kicking us about and stomping us. No, that's not it. It's the Spirit of God so prevalent in our soul by the new birth that God from within us is helping us to submit everything that we are. Now remember, we are born wrong. We're born between Satan and Eve. We're born contaminated. Even after the new birth, we are left with this mark that is still in our spirit, still in our human nature. So cross-bearing, now remember this is pre-Catholicism, so they're, they're looking at it in a total different way. The crossbacks did not come to some a couple hundred years after that. So when the disciples hear it automatically in their mind, they're thinking of the men that they would see by walking by the way, and they would put them, as we would say, the highway out here going from Johnson City to Elizabethan, they would not pick them over in the place of shame and disgrace but they wanted them to be seen so everybody along would come through they would write to crime over the top of their head so they would see Joel Yance had robbed the bank Joel Yance done this Donnie Reagan done that so they wanted you to know your crime was right above your head so remember what they wrote above his head Jesus of Nazareth King of the Jews this was his crime so and whenever they would go by, it would uh, and a stigma about it. So the disciples, you imagine, as they begin to hear the Lord Jesus say, "You've got to take up your cross and follow me." 
Now, the way that it was, it was two members of the cross. Actually, of course, our insignia is like this. More than likely, it was not like that at all. But it was two members that was more like this. Only had a little, a very little bit that was right above it where they would uh, nail your crime. And the, the man that was going to be crucified, he would take the cross member, this part right here. This was the part that the Lord Jesus began to carry. And he became weaker and weaker. And we know that there was one, according to the Gospel of John, that was beckoned to help the Lord Jesus carry it. So the disciples, when they hear these words, they saw it since they were little boys. So in their mind, maybe their mind flashed back to seeing this man or maybe this old man or this young boy. And they would see him as he would have his hands stretched out like this. And they would have cords or ropes upon that. And he would pack his cross. So he was actually carrying the cross member or the top member like this. And they would make him pack it for quite a ways. The Lord Jesus was led down what was later called the Via Dolorosa. The several steps of the cross which are marked today by churches and various things that you can walk through. But in that day it was not a place of glamour. There was no cathedrals. There were no churches there. So they would pick a public route that was very heavily traveled, a trade route uh, to the market, to all the places. You were spit upon, you were laughed at, you were ridiculed, you were made fun of. And the whole time you were carrying this cross member something like this. Now it was up and down steps. It was through inclines, it was through twists and turns in the road, and the people along the way were more than welcome to ridicule you, they were more than welcome to hit you, they were more than welcome to run up and pull the beard out of your face, to hawk spit and spit right in your face and kick you, that was perfectly fine. The Roman guards had no problem with that at all. As a matter of fact, the more pain that was inflicted, the more shame, the more it served their purpose. So remember when the disciples disciples hear this, they do not identify with something hanging around someone's neck on a gold or silver chain. They do not identify with a symbol hanging outside of a church door. But they identify with blood and pain and suffering and sorrow and humiliation and shame. The lowest degradation that a person can imagine. Now remember, a Roman citizen, no matter how low that they stooped in life, they, they were given a spared this death it was so low no Roman citizen could ever be crucified because it was deemed the lowest of all deaths for anyone so when the Lord Jesus you imagine now let's revert if we can back past 2,000 years of tradition to whenever you're hearing this for your first time so you don't identify as I said with a necklace around your neck or something hanging on your mirror in your automobile but what you see is these people that have been beat and spit upon and they would raise them up just high enough off the ground and the wild dogs would come and rip the meat from there. The crows would come and pick their eyeballs out. Uh, They've been known to hang on the cross for six to seven days and they would hang there and actually start mortification setting in their body and they would begin to stink and rot. You imagine the Lord Jesus picking a symbol to be able to identify following him. Now these disciples had in their mind that the Messiah was going to come and he was going to be the son of David. He was going to be a mighty conqueror. He was going to throw down the Romans and he was going to raise up his kingdom. What did a cross have to do with the Lord Jesus? 
You can see why the disciples, they were so stumbled. Because he said, Lord, will you now restore to us the kingdom of Israel? They did not understand. They did not grasp the full the purpose of our Lord's advent. But they had it all run together. That Psalms 2 and Psalms 84 and Isaiah 7 and all these Isaiah 35 and Zechariah 6. All these things, the mighty conqueror, the serpent bruiser. They did not understand that he come to first annihilate sin then he would come and usher in his kingdom so when he says this and these horrific images come into their mind you know, imagine them looking at one another and thinking a cross a cross has to do with the Lord Jesus what, what does this mean what, what, what's the significance to it and when he says he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me now if you notice the word that the Lord Jesus uses there he does not say he that maketh not his cross but he that taketh not so it's not up to us to make our own cross because God knows how we are. If each of us would make our own cross, instead of it being spread from tip to tip to our fingertip, instead of it being rough and rough hewn, oh my, we would have it slick like this and it'd be so nice. My, it'd be high gloss poly and it'd be rough down. There wouldn't be no splinters on it. We'd take it all and smooth it down and, you know, just make it really, really light and make it so easy and so that we'd all be able to make it right through. But you see, the Lord custom makes each of our cross. And the last time I looked, none of us get high gloss poly or lacquer. That's right. He's not making a piece of furniture. He's not making something that's going to be set in a museum. But it is something that will help us along our journey in life in order to make us as the people of God that will stand there that day as overcomers. Because if he pushes us through one end of the pipe and reaches in the middle of the pipe and jerks us out on the other sides and said, blessed are they that overcome. Really, we haven't done anything. We just held our best from the end of the pipe to the other end of the pipe. But God knows exactly what each of us need in order to make us those blessed overcomers that he wants. So he's so designed figuratively in his mind of what a Christian walk will do. Now remember, as I said, they did not have a clue that he himself was also going to be first partaker of the cross. For whatever reason, the Lord Jesus is now trying discipleship. And you see, it's through hard preaching. It is through difficult preaching and preaching that requirements are laid out. That's what scatters many times the sheep from the goats. And that's why, my, we've had many, many visitors over the years and probably will continue to do so. And if they hear something about do's and don'ts and this and that, my, they'll sit there and clap their hands and they love the music and they love the feeling in the church until the preacher gets up to preaching on something, of course, that they're doing or something that they enjoy doing and then they never could do come back again why it is a test of discipleship now a test of discipleship is not those who believe Jesus died on the cross a test of discipleship is not that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son a test of discipleship is not John 3 16 but Matthew 10 38 
Amen. A test of discipleship is not believing that there's a God. A test of discipleship is not believing there is a heaven. A test of discipleship is he that will not forsake father, mother, houses, lands, and even himself and take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Now, notice this is why that there is such great designation between the bride and the church. Because the bride are the only ones on the earth that are worthy to match him to be his missing piece of his mystical body. And they are worthy. Now listen, they are actually worthy of him because he has made them worthy. And they pass not only believing John 3.16, but they pass the very test of discipleship which helps them to crucify their greatest enemy which they love more than anybody else and that is themselves. Can y'all say amen? Well, you know, in looking at this cross, God will custom make each person's cross that it will have an element of affliction. It will have an element of persecution. It will have an element of glory mixed in that. And it will have an element of suffering. For some, it will be suffering and shame and humiliation. And if their feeling with the pride of life is very, you know, is a very big thing to them, then more than likely God will custom fit their cross to where it will actually work against them and help humble that. So God will, it's not like that God makes one and then you get in line and yours is the same as the 4,582 in front of you. But each one of us will have a his cross or a her cross. Now I can pray for you and I can ask God to help you and you can pray for me, but actually I cannot bear your cross and you cannot bear mine. Is that right? Peter could not bear James' cross and James could not bear his and Judas you know his his own place the sycamore tree Judas was the one that chose to go that way and Judas went back to hell where he come from and he took the thief on the cross with him Jesus took the other thief on the cross back where he come from so each of us have got a place to where we are identified with now the Lord Jesus says again in Luke chapter 9 verse 23 and he said to them all if any man will come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. So notice this is not something that happens one time at the moment or the instant of the new birth and then we do it then and it's done once and forever. It's actually something that we do every day of our life. And it may change from one day to another what the cross curtails. It may be one day, it may be affliction. The next day it might be a persecution from without. The next day it might be a persecution from within. And God is the only one that can intertwine it all together. Now you can imagine uh, us having many, many hundreds of people that come here to church, how the, the complexity of this body is that while some are going through sickness in their body, some are suffering with their families, some are going through financial things, others are going through other things in life, and you might try to relate to this person and that person and say, well, I really don't understand what you're going through because that's not really my battle. And yet, you imagine that around the world, that God has it so diversified that whether it's in Africa, whether it's in China, now, most of us more than likely will never go through what some of our Chinese brothers have gone through, and some of them even this very night in jail because having uh, sold, uh, made it 
available Chinese Bibles in this very night imprisoned because of standing for the gospel. You know, we, we know we don't, don't believe anyway that most of us will ever go through that. So it would be hard for us to bear that cross. But I don't think that should put us to where that we're unconcerned for our brothers that are there. Is that right? But yet the Lord Jesus knows how to make each cross to where it will work on one person. Now, another person may give to you their cross. Oh, you know, I go through this and I go through that. And you're sitting there, listen, and you're trying to give an attentive ear and a heart that is touched by their burden. And you're just thinking, wow. And you get down and you sit there. Well, brother, God bless you. God bless you, sister. I'll sure be praying for you. And then whenever you leave and you say, man, I wish that's all I had to go through. Wow. I wish that was my cross. Now, you see what you're doing is you're measuring their cross most of the time by our strengths and by the great things that we have in our life. And more than likely what they said never bothered you or it wouldn't affect you in that way. So they said, boy, I wish that's what I went through. But if you would have told them what you went through, they might have thought the exact same thing about what you go through. Wow, I wish that was my burden. But remember, it's not us that picks what we go through, either that or for our brothers and sisters. Now, let me just be honest with you as your pastor. Many of you that go through various things of life and you call Carol and I to pray for you or you send me an email or text or something like that, our hearts hurt. Boy, it's been so difficult going through this time. Different ones have been in the hospital and I've not been able to see nobody, go talk to nobody. And it's been very, very hard. But yet as a mortal, I realize if there was much, much of what I could do, if it was left up to me, I would lift many, many of y'all's burdens off of you. I, as a shepherd, because I love you so much, but you see, my love, loving you like that, is not to the deepest degree by which God loves you. Because I look at you and I feel sorry for you, and a lot of what I'm feeling is the love of God, but it is also human human compassion. But remember, human compassion is not doing the will of God. And a lot of times we try to minister to one another through human compassion and then we misunderstand God because we judge and we say, well, if that, I'll tell you one thing, if I was God, I'd heal that person. Why would God leave that on them? Because see, you're judging it by human compassion. And you're looking and say, that ain't fair, that ain't right. Why all God would have to do is just speak and it would lift that burden from them. But God sees this tremendous victory that's going to come to pass if that brother or sister will be faithful going through that trial. And if you and I would lift it off of them, that big testimony, maybe 10 people will get saved by them coming through a trial. Maybe 15 more people will get healed of cancer by hearing their testimony. Maybe 35 more people will get delivered of something else and you and I would have stopped that complete victory by our human compassion. So it shows we cannot go by human compassion. So what does God do? Then God custom makes every one of our crosses that will fit us exactly to the T. Now the bottom line of what God wants to look at is God wants to work on this element that's left inside of every one of us that has the capability of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. All of that centers around that part left in our natural human makeup which is called selfishness. Praise God. Now from here on out, I imagine even the mice won't say amen. Now when Adam with the image of God in him was willing to walk out with his wife, 
with the image of God still in Adam, he was willing to forfeit his position of being God on the earth. The image of God was still in him. But once the image of God left him, then this selfishness entered him after his fall that he never had before. You never find one degree of selfishness in Adam at all until he fell. Then after he fell, that lay that was which was in him is like it was awakened or somehow or another through the permissive will of God, and it awakened in him. And you see this first exploit of selfishness. And the man says, whenever God come questioning him, the woman that thou gavest to be with me. Now, he was willing to forfeit his godship. He was willing to forfeit his power to be able to move trees and speak to whatever more of the wind. He was willing to forfeit every bit of that with a godlike image inside of him. Once the godlike image left him, what was there to rule in its place? Selfishness. Then when God comes down, what is Adam's first response? Selfishness. So instead of him saying, now God, don't, don't take her, please. It's my fault. I, I shouldn't have done this. I should have stopped her. It is my fault totally. You don't see him saying that at all. But he blames God and he blames her. The woman thou gavest to be with me. If you'd have let me made another choice, God, I'd have never married her in the first place. But she was the only woman on the earth. So actually it ain't my fault. No, how it's your fault and her fault. Now what was the difference? The image of God left him. And when people get out from under the impression of the image of God, what do we see that's the most prevalent force in their life? Selfishness. Well, praise God. What causes so many marital problems? Selfishness. What causes parent-children problems many times? Selfishness. What causes problems in the church most of the time? Selfishness. Amen, Brother Donnie. Amen, Brother Donnie. Preach it, Brother Donnie. Hallelujah, Brother Donnie. Boy, I can't wait till Sunday till I get all them people saying amen. <laughs> God bless your heart. Now, the woman, the woman truly was desiring to be like God. And we know that's what Satan offered her. But Adam, it puts him at a total different spot. The one, of course, tries to pass the buck, as we say, right on down. But notice what Brother Branham says here. A person who lives their life for their self lives a selfish life. We must live for others. Now, this is why our flesh does not like kenosis. Because kenosis, the full effect of kenosis from the soul than the inside out constantly wants to bring this flesh subject to the dominating force that lives inside the soul now uh, brother Donnie are you saying we're not even to do anything for ourselves at all nope I'm not saying that at all God left within us the ability of self preservation this is why if an automobile stops in front of you in three quarters of a second you will respond by putting on your brake pedal isn't it amazing that God made you that fast and there was no automobiles when God made man in the garden of Eden we'd been very very bad shape if God would have made our response 38 seconds long we'd all be dead tonight wouldn't we so God made that in us it's self preservation you know your body if you're living if you're outside and the temperature starts to drop what will begin to get cold your fingertips will start getting cold as the cold moves closer your body will start cutting off the extremities is that right brother Darrell Joel it'll start cutting off your 
toes, the blood will come on in closer, closer, and the heat will start coming right around your heart to protect the, the organs and all inside. What is that? It's self-preservation. Is it wrong for us to feed ourselves? Of course not. Is it wrong for us to have hobbies and things like that that just we and ourselves enjoy doing? No, it's not. Until that becomes the primary thing that we want to do. And whenever we do, then we are actually usurping the very nature that we was given between the fall, between the birth of Satan and Eve. Now, I know we don't want to hear that, but it's the truth. So selfishness actually comes under the control of the Holy Ghost. But instead of God annihilating it at the new birth, he wants it to be that constant struggle that will be there every day of our lives. So we don't overcome it once. We overcome it once every second or two or three. Praise the Lord. Well, maybe you all don't, but I'm just talking about me, I guess. Now, what's this? Brother Ram said, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And we've got to have a feeling for one another. Notice again, he says, so each day I want to live not for myself. If I live for myself, I live a selfish life. I want to live for others and give what strength I have, not to myself and to my own pleasure, but for the benefit of others that will build the kingdom of God. Now, what's then selfishness? And we say, well, I, I do do things for others. Sure. But selfishness is more than just doing things for others. What's this in the world? made flesh I recognized the other day a selfish spirit coming up in me oh my goodness this is Elijah y'all believe he had the Holy Ghost I recognized a selfish spirit notice he didn't say getting on me but he said coming up in me oh praise God now notice Coming up in me of saying, this man's wrong. I ought to tell him about it. Oh my goodness. Well, I thought that was standing for the word. I thought that was, uh uh-huh. See how easy selfishness gets intertwined with the work of God. Now, watch how Brother Ram says this. He said, I ought to tell him about it. That's wrong. God's the one to tell him about it. That's not, it's none of my business. Oh my goodness. So whenever we get involved and we want to take the place of God and tell this person and that person and that person and that person is wrong, actually that's none of your business. Oh Jesus. What is it? Selfishness. Oh, but it's my place to correct them. Well, Brother Branham identified that as being selfish. So I wonder how many of us have got selfish. Actually, we'd probably do more good if we'd pray for them instead of trying to be their head or their leader. Now, what's this? He says, it's none of my business. It's my business to preach the gospel and love my enemies as Jesus Christ loved me when I was his enemy. Oh, my. That's right. When I was unlovely, he loved me to his bosom. And anybody that's unlovely, let me love them the same. Let the spirit that was in Christ be in us. Amen. I love him. Oh, I love him. Oh, my. Now, what's how then that selfishness can be able to interwork itself in the very work of God and convince us that it's godly zeal? It's godly zeal. You talking about a mimic 
You talking about a devil trying to hide himself, the devil of selfishness that puts on the face mask of integrity and stand for the word when it's really all about selfishness. Praise be to God. Notice again, he said, when a man's ever truly born of the Spirit of God, from the crown of his head to the end of his toenails, he's been changed by the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ, and his own selfish ideas have faded away. And God has got complete control of that man. He will believe every written word of the Lord Jesus Christ and practice the same. Buddy, that is a power-packed gentleman right there. I'm telling you what. Notice this sermon and look at the title here. He preached this now in 1955 in Campbellsville. This is where Sister Nellie Cox actually got saved this particular night. Brother Charlie didn't give his heart to God, but from this sermon, the Lord started dealing with him, and maybe a week or so after that's when Brother Charlie had given his heart to the Lord. You say, Brother Branham, I'm no prostitute. I don't altogether mean sexually. Prostitution on a higher level. You can prostitute your time. How much time do you give to him? Prostitute your own selfish motives. Now what does a prostitute do? Of course a prostitute sells her body to someone else. Why would the prophet of God use such a word? A word that we would associate with filthy, unclean living. He wanted to drive home the point, Brother Darrell, that we also can give our motives, our objectives, our ideas, our goals, and so on. And let our goals, our motives, our objectives become a prostitute to the devil. And the devil will take our time, our motives, our objectives, our so-called zeal, and he will take that and use that for his own pleasure. Oh, praise be to God. Can't you see why our flesh don't like kenosis? Hey, my flesh don't like this preaching no more than you do. I dislike it twice. I'm having to preach it and getting whooped at the same time. But you know what? It's the truth. It is the truth. And reading this, I've read this many years ago, of course, but going back the other day and looking at this, I thought, oh God, help me. Help the church, Lord. Help the bride around the world that we don't prostitute our time and prostitute our knowledge. When you look at all the avenues by which Satan would want to try to prostitute, how many, Brother Darrell, that we know that prostitute their knowledge of the message and they give their knowledge of the message as a prostitute and Satan will project his own motive inside of their knowledge or prostitute their gift or prostitute their ability or their influence and Satan will use their influence. Oh God, help us that we do not give our motives, our time, our influence, nothing about us to the devil. My, notice he said, prostitute your own motives. Going around saying, well, I belong to this church. Oh my goodness. So you mean when a person is going around in pride and arrogance and identifying themselves in a certain group, they are prostituting their identification. 
I belong. Well, you imagine whenever I'm seven thunder. I don't believe in preachers. I'm tape only. You're a prostitute. Well, praise the Lord. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I only listen to Brother Donnie. You're a prostitute. God's got a five-fold ministry, not one. God's got more than one preacher. Well, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I don't need nobody. I listen to tapes. You're a prostitute. Listen to tapes. Well, glory to God. Well, I belong to this. I belong to that. I'm better than you. Friend, every group around the message, this is their attitude. I'm better than you. I'm more revelated than you. We got more miracles than you. We got more people. You're a prostitute. You're prostituting the crowd. You're prostituting the anointing. You're prostituting the gift. But oh my, let's keep that which God has given to us. I don't want to prostitute my gift. I don't want to prostitute my anointing. I want it to be a virgin to the Lord Jesus. So the Lord Jesus can fill me with his seed. Hallelujah. Oh my. Well, I belong to this church. I'm better. No, you're not. You can prostitute otherwise than sexually. The Holy Spirit will speak to your heart and you'll say, I want nothing to do with that, you blind Pharisee prostitute. Lord have mercy. What's the matter with you committing adultery with the world? That's what you're doing. Oh, you say, I belong to church and so cold and indifferent. Oh, you say pretty prayers. Oh, I hate that Pharisaic thing. You pray and make every comma just perfect. Every period just perfect. You pray so beautiful. You can't talk to God like that. You're listening to what you're saying and punctuating your prayer. Can you imagine a person giving their prayer as a prostitute. So when they pray and they want to impress people and my, they want to have all the nouns and the pronouns and all that sort of thing. And whenever they do it, even standing, they may be standing right behind this pulpit, but their pride gets involved in it. You know what happened right then? Satan took their prayer and had his pleasure with their prayer. Brothers, we may not have to Worry about Sunday having social distancing. Everybody may social distance at home. <laughs> well, I guess there'll be 10 or 12 gathered here Sunday, huh? My Lord, I'm running them off before they ever even get to come back. Listen to this. You're listening to what you're saying. We're not supposed to be listening to our own prayer. God's supposed to be listening to it. But you're listening to your own prayer saying and punctuating your prayer. Oh God, help you to turn loose once and pray. Stop saying prayers. Stop saying. You understand what people are doing when they're saying prayers? Prostituting. Oh my. Praise God. Listen to this. You're talking about what a devastating thing that selfishness is. And the mighty conqueror, Brother Branham says this, we will never conquer as long as we're selfish. God hates sin. And he will not let it triumph over all. Notice this. In prison, Paul a prisoner, oh God, make us prisoners like that from our own selfish ambition. And from our own judgments. 
and our better way of thinking to be a prisoner of Jesus Christ. What are you talking about? Take up your cross and follow me daily. I think that was a great statement that I'm a prisoner to Jesus Christ. Paragraph 98. Oh, tonight if we as a Branham tabernacle could only become prisoners. Listen to what now? Not drinking, smoking, dope, marijuana. To our own selfish being. To your own ambition that we could completely surrender ourselves and be yoked to Him. No matter what the rest of the world thinks, what the rest of the world does, we're yoked with fetters of love. We are prisoners. Now remember, God don't want it to be a big chain on you and you're scared to death and you're terrified of God. No. God wants it to be fetters of love. You could go, sure, sure, you could go. His love that the bride has for him and he has for her, it's not fettered by a gigantic log chain, you know, weighing 500 pounds and, and the bride's trying to get away. She's trying, oh, I, I would if I could get this off my leg. No, she actually don't have anything on her leg. She has it in her heart. He don't have her all slammed in behind a cell somewhere and 32 padlocks on it, you know, and 47 guards this way and 32 that way. No, it's not that way at all. The door is standing wide open. The gate is open. You want to go? Oh, hallelujah. This is the way he proves his love to the devil. That's exactly right. He ain't got her chained down by no log chain, but he's got her right there. She is a prisoner of love. Amen. The devil says, come on out. And the prophet said, yeah, you could if you wanted to, but you don't want to no more. Why? Because you have become a love slave to Jesus Christ. Oh, my, I love this and the anointed ones. He said, many of you here might be Trinitarian preachers. We don't want you to be angry with you. He said, we love you. If we didn't, I'd, I believe that. I'd never leave this church till I got down there on my knees and said, God, make me right. I don't want that arrogant, selfish spirit mixed up with mine. Now, listen how he looks at arrogance and selfishness. I want my spirit to be pure and clean. So you can't be arrogant and selfish and pure and clean at the same time. If you're pure and clean, you won't be arrogant and selfish. But if you're arrogant and selfish, you're not pure and clean. Well, praise the Lord. You can't mix it together. You're not making a cake. You're making a born-again experience. I've never, oh my, I want my spirit to be pure and clean, brotherly love, holy, and the Holy Spirit. Now, if someone does anything wrong to me, that's all right. Whoa. And though I might have the right to get back at them, I don't want that in my life. No, I want to have love. I want to be ready to correct with love and with love that absolutely answers out yonder for it. My, 
Now look at what Satan wants to do. You know, the the complexity of the new birth to us as mortals. I imagine it must have been quite overwhelming for him as well. Because the picturesque view of the new birth never come into clarity, really, whenever the Lord Jesus even speaks to Nicodemus. Because he speaks to him in parables. And we don't have any direct place where the Lord ever actually mentioned the new birth directly to the apostles. But yet, John must have either been around or been near, or Jesus told him later. So when the new birth came on the day of Pentecost, it must must have been quite mysterious even to them. And I imagine they wondered in the heart, now that this has come down and this great thing has touched our souls and our hearts, what will we be? Will we be actually little amateur gods upon the earth? Is there an element of our humanity left? I wonder how long it took them, Brother Darrell, before they realized that the humanity was still there mixed in with the deity. Uh, They leave the upper room and they go down and they start preaching. So it must have been maybe hours that they were caught up into this. And they begin to feel this supernatural phenomena. And I wonder if they thought in their minds, oh Lord, we've been changed forever. We'll never go back to being immortal again. We'll never feel this way again. But then the anointing begin to wear off. And maybe somebody said one to another, you know, and they begin to kind of get aggravated. And then they realize it struck them. Oh my goodness. We've got changed and we've got born again, but the element of our humanity still remains in the mix. So it is the mixture of what he was. I imagine it must have come back to their mind. And then the contemplation of what God had done for them was mirrored from the first one of the new race because they would see him gone with a headache. In another moment of time, they'd see him stop a coffin and raise a boy from the dead. And then they begin to see himself mirrored in them. They would see them lay their hands on the sick and cast out devils. And they would see themselves getting sick. And they would see themselves having problems in their own flesh and troubles in their church. Is that right? Notice Brother Ram says this. If you profess to be a Christian, depart from sin and selfishness and tempers. And live like Christ did. Peaceful, humble, God blessed life. Amen. I agree with that, don't you? Amen. Notice again, you see what pride and selfishness does? It shuts you out from the kingdom of God. Now, wait a minute, we're not talking about drinking. And running around with somebody else's wife. Selfishness and pride shuts you out from the kingdom of God. Notice this in images of Christ. Boy, I love this one here. And remember, it's only the sick that demands attention. Service. Just the sick. They demand attention. When you see a preacher... And may I not only limit it to a preacher, but may I limit it to every church member that wants attention. I'm somebody. Just remember, there's a spiritual sick person. They're needing attention. Now this is what he says they need. They need the attention of the Spirit of God to give them something that will take that attitude out of them and heal them from their selfishness. Praise God. That sounds like a spanking to me. Now they think they need attention and here comes God with a big paddle or a big whip. He's going to whoop up on you. Why? Because that's what 
You need it. Now you think you need attention, more accolades of praise. Oh my, everybody just make over you, make over you, make over. God said, that ain't what you need. Bend over my knee here, son. Oh, praise God. It's one of the best signs I know that I've got. I've still got scars and marks all over my spiritual body because of being a whipped child of God. But I'd rather be a whipped child of God than be a bastard of the devil. And God let me live like the devil and do everything in the world and still anoint me and let me scream and shout. I'm glad my Holy Ghost won't let me do that. Amen. I'm glad I've got a, a line on the inside of me that if I even step over that and feel like I took any glory, anything away from him at all, that something smites me like a 10-ton truck. I'm glad I can do that, aren't you, Brother Darrell? I'm glad that's inside of me. That built in something inside of me. That no, there's a line between what God wants to share with us and what belongs to him only. Amen. Notice this. Big ideas. Big me and little you. The Holy Ghost makes us all the same. This is the communism that I believe in. But it ain't Russia's communism. It's Holy Ghost communism. Whether you drive a Mercedes or a bicycle, your brother's. Whether you dress in a tuxedo or whether you come to church in blue jeans and a yellow plaid shirt. You can hug one another on the neck and you don't have that puffed up attitude. Well, I'm in the top five category. I didn't know we had a five here at the church. I saw we was all in the top. Well, praise God. Notice the Holy Ghost makes you all the same. Too much spiritual sickness anemics. And anemia is what? A blood problem. A blood problem. Folks get just enough of the douse of the blood of the Lord Jesus to forgive their sins. But they're still anemics and they're pale and they're puny and they're weak. My blood's low. Oh, I feel like fainting. Oh, that hard preacher. Oh, where's my sofa? Oh, let me faint. Let me faint. But those that are strong meat say, praise God. Oh, oh, hallelujah. Pour it on me, Lord. Why? They ain't got a blood problem. They got good blood. That's right. The blood is rich. And it ain't their blood. It's the blood of the Lord Jesus. They're not pale. They're not weak. And he's trying to stand up. Let's everybody praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm so weak. I got to sit back down. You're anemic. You got a blood problem. Let's go to the cross and get a good blood transfusion. What do you say? Get a real good dose of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And then you'll quit looking down your nose at everybody else and look down your nose at you. And realize you are the biggest problem you've ever had and ever will have. Woo! Too much spiritual sickness and anemia. You know what anemia is. It's someone that hasn't got any blood. They walk funny. They're topsy. Tipsy, topsy. All the time. That's what's the matter with many of our church members today. They are anemics. They need a blood transfusion of Calvary. That'll give them rich, royal blood. To make them in the whole oh, hallelujah. Walk in the old-fashioned way of the Holy Ghost. Hewed out way of God that'll give them something to live for. Give them a confidence that'll make them walk in the image of the Lord. The devil puts sickness in your way. You say, get out of my way, Goliath. You better to get out of my way. I'm coming on, but oh, oh, I'm about to pass out. Oh, God, here comes the truck. Oh, 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 set me down, set me down. You need more blood. I said, You need more blood. You might need a whooping too. Stir up your stimulation a little bit. Praise God. 
Notice this. Brother Bram said, to be a Christian is self-denial. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me daily. Today it's so soft. And people call it what in the world, friends. This is 1963. What would he say today? 2020. If he thought they were soft then. Oh my goodness. People call themselves Christians when it used to mean death to confess Christ. You had to depend on him daily for everything you had need of. Again, Christianity is self-denial. Take up your cross daily. Follow him. Die out to the things of the world when all condemnation is gone. Now, let me skip over here just a little bit there, Brother Brad. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. And let's just touch on this a little bit. We'll pick it up again horrible on Sunday. Look, notice the difference now between selfishness and self about us, which of course comes from Satan, did not come from God. Notice this, that Paul said, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. I love the meaning of this word. It is to change or exchange as coins... For others of equivalent value. You see, that's not the way we understand reconciliation. We think reconciliation is we were a piece of trash, junk, rats on the garbage heap. And God took this awesome, awesome Pearl of great price, this beautiful, beautiful treasure of heaven. And bought this piece of junk. But that's not reconciliation at all. (laughs) Even you brothers are looking at me funny. But God actually took one coin which he made and touched with the dust of humanity. Glory. And took that coin in the place of those other seeds which were represented in dust as well. But they were actually of the same value to him. Praise be to God. It wasn't that he took this invaluable piece that was totally, completely priceless and he bought this piece of junk with it and he's spending his whole time trying to modify this junk and change this junk. No, that's not what he's doing at all. That is not reconciliation. How could you be reconciled to a friend you never had? How could you and John Doe and Jim Doe and Frank Doe and, and you say, I don't even know the Doe boys. <laughs> how, in the world, oh my, how in the world could I ever be reconciled to them? What did you know? No, I never knew him in my life. Did you go to school with them? Well, no, I never went to school with them, but I want to be reconciled. Well, people look at you and say, well, you're crazy. But yet if we preach reconciliation to God, they say we're nuts. But this is what the Bible says. He has reconciled us to himself by his human temple. 
Hallelujah. By his human anointed temple, Jehovah God anointed in a human body who kenosis himself. So here was this coin of great value. What was the first attribute of the Logos that came out of the eternal? But out of there went all these other attributes of wealth. And they were the same value. Why? They were of the elect quality. They were not a penny and he was a silver dollar. They were from the throne of God. From the heart of God. From the essence of God. From the being of God. But they were lost. Out of friendship. Out of fellowship. Out of circulation. Remember when Jesus gives the three parables there in Luke. Of the man with the hundred sheep. And then the woman who lost the coin. And then the prodigal son. Look at them. All three of them is dealing with the elect. He didn't have 99 sheep and one goat. And went out there and made that goat and changed him over and transformed him into a sheep. It was a hundred sheep. And went out there what? To reconcile and bring that one sheep back. And the woman that had them coins, if we know what it was, it was that, that headband around her. You know, someone being formed of a necklace and she lost that coin. But remember, the coin was hers first. What was those parables? Ministry of reconciliation. Amen. I agree. He come to get the church. He come to get them and he offered them grace. And they were undeserving. That's exactly right. They were undeserving. They were not of his genos. They were not of his kind. But the bride is his kind. Because he is the word and she is the word. Hallelujah. So what does she do? She takes a lamp and she goes to sweeping the house looking for what? Something she never had? If she never had it, how would she know what to look for? But she took the broom and swept the house. I love the quote where the prophet said, one day you'll be standing and all of a sudden a sweep will go over you. The bride's used to being swept. Amen. We've swept our heart many a time. We've swept our lives many a time. And the last thing that we're going to experience is a sweep. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What's she, how she know what to look for, Brother Joel? Unless she knew exactly what that coin was. Oh, but may I remind you, that coin had an image on it. An image and a superscription on it. The image of the issuing king of that day. So as a Roman denarii, hallelujah, I feel like speaking in tongues. Glory to God. It was lost, but it was lost in the terms of election lost. It was simply out of circulation. (laughs) Glory be to God. If she can find it, it still has value. If she can find it, it still has buying power. If she can find it and restore it back to its place, it still has the same power that the rest of them had that was not lost. This is reconciliation. Amen. We were not a bunch of goats out yonder and a bunch of weeds and, and somehow the Lord done something to us. And that was a new birth. That ain't the new birth. The new birth is finding you out there in that lost condition and the Holy Ghost coming inside that seed of yours and quickening you to eternal life. Glory to God. Hallelujah. All things are of God who has reconciled us. Reconciled reconciled 
reconciled. No, I ain't stuck. I just want you to get it. Reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. Then he don't stop there. But he says he has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Praise be to God. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation to do what, Brother Darrell? Go out there and find those other coins that are not in their place. Amen. Maybe preach election to them. Preach predestination to them. Oh, mind. And preach something to them that'll help them to realize you never was a goat. You never was out yonder like that. You always was a sheep. Can't you see why the church world itself really don't understand or believe in reconciliation? Why? Because their preachers that preach to them don't preach to them they're reconciled as they were a friend with God before. They're preaching to them truly the truth for who they are. I used to hear that true. I used to hear it. Yes, I did. But I thank God. I thank God. One day I realized all them years of hearing that, that wasn't really who I was, Harry. That wasn't really who I was. I thought that's who I was. And it took me years to get that tradition out of me. But now I realize I have been reconciled to God. I was a coin that was lost. Oh my. So she sweeps the house and she sweeps the house and she finds a gravel. And she takes this gravel over to this machine and she runs it through this machine. No? That's not your parable? Really? Well, that's the way people preach the gospel. That God finds all these people out there and they was lost and deserving to go to hell and you know they should go to hell and all that sort of thing. And then God grabbed a hold of this gravel and this old scrap piece of this, that, and other and God done some type of magical something or other. That's not reconciliation. Hallelujah. So let's say I get in a tight spot. I'll take this sin. How's your microphone? Really good microphone. Cost several hundred dollars. I take the microphone. I take the receiver over there. I take it down to the pawn shop. I say, sir, <clears throat> I need a little money for this. All right, let me look at it. Okay, Sennheiser, model so-and-so. Looks like you got an 835 omnidirectional microphone, SM58 hypercardioid. A condenser on the top of it. Looks like it's in really nice shape. Yes, sir, it is. It looks like it works. Frequency, adjustable frequency. Yes, sir. Okay, let's look up right here. All right, let's look. It looks like it costs around $897, something like that. Use market value, say two to three years old. I say somewhere around $500. <clears throat> I'll give you $400 for it. So, all right. I hate to part with it, but all right. Now, what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you a ticket. I'm going to put the matching part of that ticket on this set. This set is not actually for sale unless you miss your date. And the date was so important that it had been even time is named and identified after the visit of this one man. Up to a certain far of his advent, it was called B.C. But with his coming to the earth... It changed from B.C. to A.D. So he came exactly the right time. And he broke the Old Testament and the New. And he come with all 
of these pockets full, plumb full of these redemption tickets. Praise God. I can see one day going down to the well and he told the disciples, go on in town, get some vittles. It's about lunchtime and they'd run out of food. And he said, I must needs go through Samaria. So he's out there sitting by a well. Here comes this woman. Boy, she had major, major problems. Jesus goes to talking to her a little bit. We know the story. And he goes to telling her and breaking, kind of break into her soul. Notice now, he has her ticket in his pocket. She don't even know she's worth a ticket. Looking at herself and the prophet said she was thinking, I don't know about this man I'm with right now. The prophet said the reason she was in that shape was because her mom and daddy turned her out when she was young and she started living that kind of life. And he said, people talk about child delinquency. He said, a lot of it is parent delinquency. And one thing he identified it with was people not whipping their kids when they need it. (laughs) They called it parent delinquency. She thought she was worthless. Everybody else did as well. Hallelujah. And he began to reveal the secret of her heart. Go get your husband and come here. I don't have a husband. That's the truth. You've had five and the one you're with now is not your husband. So he reaches inside and he don't pull out John's ticket. But he pulls out the woman at the well. Sir, the Messiah comes. He'll he'll tell us of these things. I that speak to thee am he. I am. Glory to God. So he didn't say, well, hallelujah, I got a gravel. Praise God, I got a gravel. Now come over here and let me put you in the gravel changing machine and let me run you over here and give you a good jerk and a shout and let me baptize you three times forward and three times backward and let me run you through all this and mold you and shape you. He didn't have to do none of that. That woman took off a running and screaming and a hollering. You imagine, and she meeting the disciples and the disciples looking at him and looking at her and wondering what in the world was going on. But you know what Jesus done? Jesus gave her the deposit and he put the claim check right back there inside of him and said, praise God, I got another one for you, Father. He didn't have to run that old gravel because she wasn't no gravel. She was a redeemable attribute. And through the man Christ Jesus, God had performed the ministry of reconciliation. This is why, friends, it's so important that we get ourselves out of the way. This is what he wants to do through all of us. Maybe not to the same degree, but he wants to let his light be lived through us, shine through us, and reconcile maybe another coin out there that you're working with. Let's stand Praise be to God. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, my, no wonder our flesh don't like kenosis. It's the last hold that Satan has on you. It's the last hold he has on me. To keep me from completely surrendering to God. The people at CNN know my name. They've called it before. The people at ABC know my name. The people at Fox know my name. But it ain't them people that's ever hindered me from going home with God. 
So in reality, they're not my enemies. It's this old boy right here. Oh, Brother Don, if I could just kill it, just get, get away from it. It's not that. He wants you to take up your cross every day. As soon as you get out of the bed of the morning, whatever it is. And remember, your, pro, your cross can be multifaceted in that persecutions, affliction, pain, personal suffering, being run down by people, hurt, having your reputation marred by liars, or whatever more. And it may change from one day to the next, one week to the next. But he wants us to be able to patiently carry it as he did his. Have I always carried it faithfully? I have not. Now, I dare say I can speak for everyone that's visible here tonight and those that are invisible as well and say most of us have not either. Even the Lord Jesus, when it comes to facing death, his humanity must feel this drawback because he knew I would. He knew I would. He knows how I am. He knows every time he goes to leading me down sermons of this line right here, I question. I battle it. I don't like preaching it. I walked here, left after service Sunday. Went home. Wet clothes on, so I wanted to change my clothes. Carol came in the closet where I was at and said, Don't you let the devil wear you out because what you preached. Because we need it. I said, I know it. I know it. But I still don't like it. What is it? Part of my cross is whipping the people I love more than I love my own life. I would die for you, folks. And then I have to turn around and whip you. Does that make sense? Well, you parents had to do the same thing to your children. You would give your life for your children. But you loved them so much when they were wrong. You corrected them. That proved the extent of your love. It was beyond human compassion. Let me just give you a little glimpse before we close. There he was in the circle of eternity. And he was the father, actually. But he must condescend and become in the form of sonship. So the great creator took on dust. Now imagine when there was no cosmic light or no atomic dust or anything out there, but yet he himself knew one day he would take on dust and become dust. <laughs> the prophet said when he was born a baby, that little toothless mouth, that little toothless mouth, when he opened that little toothless mouth and cried, it was Jehovah crying like a baby. He said he could have come a full mature man, but he didn't want to come like a man. He wanted to be born a baby so he would know how babies feel. He grew up as an eight-year-old, a nine-year-old, a ten-year-old, as a teenager. Again, the prophet says, if you haven't listened to it, listen to it. <clears throat> 12, 27, 59. He said he wanted to come up and grow up as a teenager to face the tests and trials as a teenager. And remember, he faced those things as a teenager without the baptism 
of the Holy Ghost. You say, why would he do that? Because he wanted to be the high priest, not only for Holy Ghost field, but for those who are justified and sanctified. Aren't you glad he didn't wait to become your high priest just when you got the Holy Ghost? He wanted to understand how babies would feel, how children would feel, how teenagers would feel. Praise God. Satan can't relate to this, friends. This is why he totally missed him. You imagine Satan and his demons, and they hear sermons like this tonight, which have been preached since the gospel has been preached for 2,000 years, and he's still, to this day, he cannot process it. It makes no sense to him. The only thing he understands is rebellion and hatred. He loves that sort of thing. Humility, it's not in him. What in him is pride and arrogance and puffed up and bragging on yourself and making yourself this and that and the other. Stepping on whatever you have to step on to get to the top of the ladder. But I'm so glad that's not who we are. The ladder we're trying to get a top of is not Satan's ladder, but Jacob's ladder. It anchored, the prophet said, down on the earth. And then it anchored up in heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending up that ladder. And later we know that ladder was called Jesus Christ. Can we bow our heads tonight? I wonder how many of you that are present and those of you that have streamed the service and those of you that will archive it, would you just say with me tonight, Lord Jesus, help me to take up my cross. Help me not to complain. If you're like me, probably it's not that you haven't bore your cross but you've borne it with complaints. You've borne it with attitudes. And you've borne it with growling and all kinds of things that comes with it. Oh, Lord Jesus, we ask you tonight for forgiveness, Lord. Father, it's not that I'm asking for the first time in my life to take up my cross. But, Lord, I desire to take it up, Lord, with an adjustment in my attitude, my outlook. Heavenly Father, help me. Lord Jesus, none of us in our human makeup, we, we, we want to be accepted. We want to be loved. We, all of those things. But Lord, help us, I pray, to love you more than anything or anyone else in the world. Help me, Lord Jesus. You didn't tell me to deny my wife. Lord, you didn't say if any man will deny his children. But he brought it right down, repeated it over and over again in the four Gospels. He must deny himself. Help us, Lord Jesus, I pray. We love you tonight, Father. Thank you for this word. Lord, I thank you so much that we're going to get to start assembling together again. Lord, we so look forward to it on Sunday. Father, I pray that you'd help us through this time. It's going to be a little different for us still yet, but help us to get through it. Lord, we... We just pray for your mercy. We realize, Father, that we're not dealing with just cells and that sort of thing under a microscope. But we know this thing comes from the fourth dimension. It's a disease unlike anything, as far as we know, that man has ever dealt with before. With the flu, with the cold, with many things, people that are infected, they have symptoms. But with this one, Lord, it is so well camouflaged that people can be asymptomatic. Lord, they can be spreading it from one to another to another. 
and they don't even know that they're sick. So it is truly showing us that Satan has found a way from that fourth dimension to be able to break into cells and into the human race in a higher way than what we have ever known before. Scientists, microbiologists, all these folks that are studying it, they're finding out more and more and more about it, Lord. But we realize its origin. We realize, Father, it's demons. So, Lord God, we pray, bring healing to our nation, Father, to our world. I think about our brothers and sisters in the third world countries, God, they're suffering greatly. I pray for them, Father, for the sake of your elect, Lord Jesus. And, Lord, as we get back to work and get to come back to church and start to be able to go back to a normalcy of our lives, Father, I pray there not be a resurgence of this thing, Lord. Dear God, may it leave us. Grant it, Lord Jesus. Help us, I pray, Father. I know some of your children have actually succumbed to this and died. Lord, some of the message have actually died because of it. Some, Lord, just hearing some more today that have gotten sick. One very, very sick. And then, Lord, another one in the same household. Lord, hardly any symptoms at all. So it's, it's a mystery. It's an unusual thing how it affects us. But, Lord God, it ain't no mystery to you. And, Lord, we believe the stripes that was laid upon your back covered this as well as everything else. Minister of healing, I pray to your children, Father. We love you tonight, Lord, in the name of Jesus. God bless you, saints. See you Sunday morning. Brother Joel. think back, I was about 15 years old or so, somewhere around that age, and snuck out with some kids and got caught. Wasn't, wasn't always good at the sneaking part. But normally, Dad had one way to handle those situations. There was a belt coming, and it usually helped steer me in a different direction. But that time, they, they chose a different path, and they, they chose to Sunday morning get up and go to church, and they didn't even wake me up. I woke up and they were gone, and I had just the worst. I would have rather had a beating. I just felt like they gave up. They don't care anymore. And I, that was strategic on their part. That was that was thought out. That was planned. But sitting here tonight, Brother Donnie talking about how he hates to bring these heart sermons. I love them. I love this word. I love the correction that comes from a man that I have all the confidence in the world in as a man of God. Let's me know he still loves me because the, the sermons are tailor fit to me. It's not just shotgun thrown out there to scatter. I know the Lord is, is using him to speak to me and needs in my life. He's not gave up on me. I appreciate that. Ain't you thankful? He thought I was worth saving. Amen. When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. Let's sing that instead. You thought I was worth saving. We do that in the F. You thought I was worth saving So you came and changed my life You thought I was worth keeping So you cleaned me up inside You thought I was to die for So you sacrificed your life So I could be free so I could be whole, so I could tell every.
was worth saving So you came and changed my life You thought I was worth keeping So you cleaned me up inside You thought I was to die Sometimes 